This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock, guiding leaders to higher ground. Learn more at MarketplaceRock.com. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, co-founder and co-host. Here's this week's interview by my partner, John Ramstead. Today on the Eternal Leadership Podcast, we have Kathy Fetke. Kathy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I am looking forward to this conversation. This is definitely a, a unique one for us, but I think just uh, it, some important information that I'm sure a lot of people are wondering about. Now, um, Kathy, you're the CEO and co-founder of Real Worth Network, and that's a California-based real estate investment group, and you have yep. 16,000 members. Yep, it's Real Wealth Network, and we're up to 24,000 now. <laughs> 24,000. Oh, my goodness. So you're continuing to grow, and you're the host yes. of the Real Worth a Real Wealth Show podcast. Yes. And you've been a contributor on CNN, CNBC, NBR, uh, NPR, Fox News, CBS Market Watch, Wall Street Journal. Now, I have read and watched all those, but I've never been a guest, Kathy. <laughs> I've been very blessed, but you know, real estate's been headline news and they want answers and I've got them. <laughs> well, that's, uh, well, that's what I'm excited about to talk about today. Cause you know, you're, you're a licensed real estate agent and you were a former mortgage broker. Mm -hmm. uh, you're past president of the American women in radio and television. Uh, you were recently recognized as one of Goldman Sachs, a hundred most intriguing entrepreneurs. And you did that two years in a row, so congratulations. Thank you. And I know right now you're, you're loving the freedom that real estate investing is bringing to you. You like to travel and hike and rock climb and ski, and, and uh, you live in Malibu, California with your husband, and you have yes. two daughters. So, But here's what I'd like to do to get started. Um, I would like to just turn it over to you and just stare, share a little bit about kind of your story, your journey, what led you to what you're doing now, just so people can get to know you a little bit. Sure. Well, I'm one of those unemployable people. I mean, so there's <laughs> <laughs> there's some of us that exist out there. I I uh, just have always been an entrepreneur, always had my own business uh, since I was very young. I think since I was just out of college, actually in college, um, I, I worked as a well, I worked in the newsrooms and also worked for a talent agency. But I noticed that they were kind of ripping people off at the time and selling acting classes that were way overpriced and not taught by, by, by very good teachers, but the, they were extraordinarily expensive. And I just remember thinking, I was in my early 20s, that I could do better, um, that I could offer quality and, um, you know, and help people and still make money, that you, you don't have to rip people off to make money. And so, at a, you know, in my early 20s, I started a talent agency and um, you know, we brought in casting directors and producers who, who would teach the classes because they're the ones who would knew, know what they were looking for when hiring. And we created connections so that actor wannabes would meet the real players. And, you know, and we, we charged a fair fee for that, that was affordable. And, you know, we did really well. And that, so that was my sort of entree into business. And, it seems to be a trend where I enter businesses that have a tendency to not be living in integrity right. and turn that around. And when you, when you become a, a large company or at least loud, you know, I'm good at marketing. So I, I would let people know how to protect themselves. Well, then those other businesses, just, they do, they go out of business. They can't survive uh, when they're lying to people. And then the truth comes out. 
Mm-hmm. So that's that got started. But then I met my sweetheart and we got married. I uh, I was, like I said, in the news business and doing this talent agency. And it was too much for uh, for me when we were starting a family. I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom and I didn't want to be chasing fires and murderers. And, you know, with the talent business, uh, you know, they might want 50 actors at eight o'clock the next morning, but they tell you at 9 p.m. the night before. So it just, there was kind of no way, or at least I didn't know how to delegate. You and can't I, have a life with those kind of demands, can you? you? You can't, I mean, unless you know how to delegate and I didn't. And so I just ended up selling the agency and getting out of the news business and um, was a happy housewife. Meanwhile, my husband had just written a book called Extreme Success. He It was based on, uh, what it takes to be an extreme athlete and the fear, you know, that you have to work through. Um, and it's the same kind of skills and courage needed to start a business. So he wrote that book and was, you know, at the top of his game, he was doing a three month tour and everything was going amazing. We had just bought a big house, a six bedroom house just outside of San Francisco, kind of, uh, like to say we were one of those Americans that had stretched well beyond our means. You know, we bought a house that was really big, big mortgage payment. Um, but everything was looking good and it didn't look risky at the time. Mm-hmm. But then he came home and of course we were doing everything that our financial planner told us to do. We were saving 10%, 10% of our income for emergencies, 10% in investments for our retirement and 10% just for stuff, you know, a car in the future, college or whatever, um, just for, for expected expenses. But one day, um, Rich came home and he had tears in his eyes. I was making dinner and I looked up and, you know, the kids were drawing pictures on the, on the table and just kind of looked up and like, what's wrong? And he said, well, I just came back from the doctor and that freckle that, is now, uh, you know, was diagnosed as melanoma. And after more testing, it looked like it had spread to uh, his liver. And melanoma is a fast-moving cancer yeah, and it's a, a deadly one. Yeah. And so the, um, the doctor literally looked rich in the eyes that day and said, you've got six months. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So that was a tough day, you know. Just when you think you're at the top of the game and life has a different plan for you. You know, what was your, your, I can't even imagine being that situation. Although, you know, that happened to my wife at my accident when she was told, we we don't know if he's going to make it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that is, that's a hard one in the moment to process, isn't it? I, I think you mentioned earlier that, when you had your accident, um, you didn't feel the pain. You were kind of blessed um, to, to be taken care of. Somehow you mentioned something like that. And that's kind of what happened to me. I, I just, I wasn't actually scared at all. Mm. I, I didn't believe it. I may have been in denial. I, I don't know, but I, I just didn't believe it. Um, my, my husband is a big, strong warrior. <laughs> you know, he is... He is, he jumps off uh, the Golden Gate, you know, a bunch of, ju- he was in the ES, what am I trying to say? The um, ESPN X Games for bungee jumping. He's jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. He's jumped off a uh, half dome in Yosemite, 5,000 feet up. He's a skydiver, a surfer, a rock climber. You know, I just, I was like, uh, Superman. 
think I don't think a freckle's going to take this guy down. I mean, again, it certainly could have, and we were blessed um, that today he is actually fine, and the doctor was wrong. So that's the good news. Um, but at the time, you know, I didn't believe it, but he did. And or he didn't, I wouldn't say believe it, but he obviously was concerned. And we both agreed that in the case, the doctor was right, he should enjoy his life and not spend the next six months working. um, But instead, you know, spend it with our young children and his family and friends and, you know, live how he wants. Um, And and there was just, you know, the, the problem is so many times people don't know how to deal with situations like this. So nearly every person that he talked to or ran into or you know, would say, oh, yeah, my friend died from that, or my dad died from that. It's <laughs> like, you know what, that's not what you tell someone. Yeah, that's not helping. <laughs> that's not helpful. But um, so there was this part of him that doubted and didn't have 100% faith that he'd be okay. So, um, you know, in in that process, I knew that he needed to get better. And so I knew I needed to take over the money and I didn't know how. So I had my radio show. It was called The Real Well Show. And it was on a major station in San Francisco at the time. That's the one thing I kept from my broadcast days because it was fun and it kind of kept me connected. But I wasn't making any money at it. It was just more of uh, something to keep me with adults <laughs> when I was raising children. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> But I thought, okay, I'm going to take this show because I have an audience and I'm going to turn it into an opportunity for me to to figure out how to get back into the game. You know, I'd been a stay-at-home mom. So I thought, you know, I'll interview people who have acquired passive income in a relatively short amount of time. Um, and, and I wanted to learn how they did it. And the reason I wanted to know passive income is because I wanted to continue to raise my children. There was just no way I was going to go to work at seven in the morning and come home at seven at night and have someone else raise my kids. I just wasn't going to do it. So I, I figured the best way to figure this out was to find other people who had done what I was trying to do and learn from them. So, you know, God brought me these people. I, I had interview after interview of successful people who kind of started with nothing. And because of the decisions they made in real estate, they were, um, you know, they were job optional, basically. They had enough passive income to cover their expenses from the rental income from the properties they'd bought. So that um, that was just a huge learning. And, um, and so at that time, you know, basically we found our solution. And Rich and I followed the advice of these experts on the show. And um, our property values had increased substantially. It was 2000 four or five at the time. So, you know, where where was he with this journey with cancer during this period of time, Kathy? Um, you know, he, well, you know, going back to that, he realized that he wasn't a hundred percent faithful, that he maybe 90% believed he'd be okay, but 10% doubted. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the process of shifting that and recognizing it, we had, um, one of our spiritual mentors come over and kind of, recognize that he looked rich in the eye and said, how much have you believed you're going to live? And rich said 90%. And, um, and this mentor said, well, that 10% is killing you that 10% of doubt. And it was just a, a shift. And, you know, I don't know what happened. All I know is that he went back to more subsequent appointments and there was no more cancer. Wow. So- I mean, yeah, I mean with melanoma, they do cut it out, you know, yeah, and they, they believed that that there were lumps on his liver and that it had spread. But like I said, they couldn't find it after. So 
it was either a miracle or the doctor was wrong. I don't know. All I know is that when you do commit 100% and have 100% faith, something changes. I think that's so true. What was, was there, was, do you think that was easy for him to make that final shift or what do you think? Might it was been, instant. Really? It was instant. Yeah, it was, you know, once he, because he's a motivational speaker. So he, you know, he recognized the doubt and, you know, that part of him that would wake up in the middle of the night and deep sweats, you know, and, and that he needed to stop going on the internet. He needed to stop talking to people. He needed to just surround himself with only positive um, beliefs and that he would be okay. And um, yeah, no, for him, it was, it, it, he recognized it and changed in that moment. And, and that was what happened to me too. It's like, Ooh, I, you know, I, I want to be there for him. I will figure out how to do this. It, what, there was no doubt. It's like, I don't know how to make $10,000. At the time, it was $10,000 a month to cover our expenses. And I, I was making maybe 1000 as a stay-at-home mom. And you know, I didn't know how to make up that $9,000 a month shortfall. But mm-hmm. something in me said, you're going to find it. Like 100% of me said, you'll figure this out. There was no doubt. So you just, and you know what, I, I like what I'm hearing too is, without trying to figure it all out and having this perfect plan and having this clarity, you just started taking steps to move forward day after day after day. And that, yes. that action that you put yourself into that mode led to the clarity that you probably found yourself with that's that's led to this company you've created. And I think that's a really important takeaway that I'm hearing is people are just looking at what's next. Yeah, it's a couple of things. I mean, one is that um, you know, some of the greatest accomplishments, um, greatest growth that we have as human beings come in the most difficult times. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's a great motivation there when, when you're afraid you're going to lose your house and your husband and, you know, how was I going to care for my children? I mean, you know, this was not anything I'd ever dealt with. And uh, so there was no room for doubt as far as I was concerned. Uh, it, had it not been so urgent and so scary, then maybe I wouldn't have dug in deep enough to find out that part of me that could, you know, that could survive and thrive. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 I, I mean, I'd never, I, <laughs> I had no interest in anything financial at the time. I, I was drawing pictures with my children and growing an organic garden and making dinner. I was, I was happy, happy as a housewife, and so. You know, would that woman have ever created a multi-million dollar investment firm, you know, helping 24,000 people with their, no, never, never. This would have never been me, uh, but it's apparently where I was supposed to be. Well, you know, as you went through that process, Kathy, what was the most challenging thing for you? Um, that's a really good question. I think, you know, this all happened in 2000. 2004 and so I needed was rich still at like that 90% at that point he was he had come around but we were we were in a tough financial place because we'd spent all of our savings on medical bills Mm, so okay I can relate to that yeah yeah so he was we knew he was better and we had the results and that was great but we were also broke and um and so I mean, one of the most challenging things that we did, but it, not so much. It's not 
compared to what many people go through. But we'd bought this big house um, and the benefit, you know, the, the bummer was that we had a big mortgage payment. The benefit was that we had a big house. And so he went climbing with the guys one weekend, you know, he's going to gonna go have some fun. And um, he came home to a house that was completely full of people <laughs> because while he was gone, I rented out every nook and cranny of that house to, you know, to be able to make that month's mortgage payment. Uh, a friend of mine told me that you could, that, that these um, international students paid $600 a month for a bed and bed and breakfast, and you could put four of them in a room. So I moved the kids into my kids into one room and I took their room and put four students in. And then I took the playroom and put four students in there. And Rich came home to eight people living in his house that he didn't know, but we also made the mortgage. <laughs> so we had to wait in line for, uh, you know, for the bathroom, the bathroom, the kitchen, the, yeah. the TV. And I had to, I had to cook for these people. So I was making polenta and pasta. I mean, the cheapest possible meals I could make because we were, you know, coming out of a financial, crawling out of a financial hole. But um, there's a, there's always a way. That was our way. Um, and it helped. I mean, at one point, Rich put his foot down and said, I don't want to live in. <laughs> I'd rather just, you know, live in a car than live this way. In but a hostel. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, but it, it worked. And, um, and then during all of that, while we were just making ends meet. So one of the things I know is that, um, we, we all are given gifts and we need Mm -hmm. to, um, use those gifts properly and not try to do something that we're not gifted at, you know, but look at what we're gifted at. So I had this radio show and I thought, you know, I could turn this into a money generating project. I don't know how, but this is something I know I'm good at. So I thought, I know, sponsors, that's how people pay for shows. I, I hadn't really, you know, pursued that. So I thought, all right, well, how do you go about and get sponsors? So I listened to other radio shows and and um, and I called every single sponsor that was advertising on anybody else's show. I just dialed for dollars day after day after day, all day, you know, asking for money. And, you know, the more you do something, it's scary at first, uh, but then you, it, you know, it becomes natural. And I, I would just call and say, hey, I've got this show and I'd give the pitch and, you know, do you want to li- advertise? And I got a no after a no after no, 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 no. You know, they'd already spent their advertising budget. So finally, I, I went outside and this was another divine intervention, but I went outside, poured myself a cup of tea and just, you know, prayed, dear God, you know, show me what to do here. I, I, this is a complete failure. I'm not getting any sponsors, but my show was good you know, and so what am I doing wrong? And then I, I looked down and I, I saw the little, you know, there's sometimes little messages on your tea bag. Yeah. So I look at the message and it says, don't think that if you keep banging your head on, on the wall, it will turn into a door. <laughs> so I thought, okay, I'm not really sure what that means, but I, okay. So Thank then you, the God. Next, <laughs> thanks. All right. So I walk in, I'm like, well, forget it then. And, um, I, you know, just went about my business and, and just was like, maybe I'm not supposed to get sponsors. And then as soon as I let that go, that struggle, another thought entered and it was make the next offer so irresistible. Nobody could say no. And that's when I realized I had been dialing for dollars, but that's the way it came across. I was basically calling people saying, Hey, you want to give me some money? Yeah. You know, and that's not usually, that doesn't usually work. And so I thought, oh, what, what would be, you know, what would get the yes? What could somebody never turn down? And I thought, I know. And the next person I called, I said, 
how would you like to co-host my show with me? And I got a yes. He said, come meet with me. And that's when I came in and I showed him the costs. And of course, this was different than advertising. So I put another zero in front of the number. I asked for a huge amount of money and he didn't even blink. So I got my yes. But that also, that now I had a co-host and that co-host was a mortgage broker. So I I came home to my husband and we laughed. I said, I guess my show is going to be a mortgage show now. And I just sold out. I have no idea how to make this interesting. I'm going to lose my audience. Are you kidding me? Mortgages, there's there's nothing much more fascinating than mortgages. (laughs) Other than actuarial science. Right. Oh, but you know, it ended up, you're right. It was true. I mean, my husband said, we'll make it human interest. That's what people want to hear. Find out what people are doing with mortgages. So I did. And it turned out that this co-host was a real estate investor. And so all the people that were getting mortgages were doing really cool things. Like one person was getting a loan to buy a house, fix it up and sell it for a profit or buy a duplex and live in half of it and rent the other part out and and live for cheaper than rent or whatever they were doing, you know, investing in Dallas or different areas that where it was booming. Um, you know, I, I ended up being a fascinating show and sure enough, within weeks, our phones were ringing off the hook. Everybody wanted a mortgage. My co-host said, this has been fabulously successful. I cannot possibly keep up with all these phone calls. Go get your license and become a mortgage worker. <laughs> so I did. And, uh, that month I got my license and my very first loan was a million dollar loan. I live in California, so that's pretty typical. Yeah. And I charged one point. I could have charged three, but I charged one. That's basically means one percent of a million dollar loan was ten thousand dollar payday. And that's what you need to live every month. That's right. Wow. So our money troubles were gone. Yep. Money. Tr- okay, so. You become a mortgage broker. You're seeing all these creative ways that people are using real estate, right? You just did one loan, but th- this is this sounds like this is this is really the first step of what what happens next, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, at the time, so, so often we have no idea, you know, what's ahead. You can plan and dream and vision, but um, sometimes you just can't see the the end point or whatever. You know, if you're hiking, you might say, wow, we're going to go to the top of that hill and you get to the top of the hill and realize there's like five more hills, you know, before the end of the hike, but you would never ever have seen them when you were at the bottom of the hill. So, you know, I mean, never ever would I have thought that being a mortgage broker would, again, prepare me to be where I am today, where I'm on CNBC. I'm talking to Neil Cavuto, talking loans and mortgages. I mean, never could I have seen that. No, I, I mean, you know, I wouldn't have thought, imagined it. But what I did... I learned the power of leverage in a good way and a bad way. Mm. And so what do you mean by that? um, That real estate has historically been such a safe investment that banks, again, in the 2000s, we know they were willing to to give 100 percent, you know, to to lend 100 percent to somebody, even more, 105 percent. So you could buy a house, borrow 100 percent of the money to buy it and even get money back. Yeah. You know, it was craziness. And and then it got so crazy that, um, you know, like you didn't even have to prove income or anything. You just walk in. I could write you a loan. I make 10 grand. You walk away with a house. You know, it was it was it was craziness. Um, so, of course, what we found is that if you go in, if you take on debt that you can't afford to pay back, you get wiped out. But if you take on debt 
that allows you to acquire an asset that is either going to gain in value or offer you ongoing cash flow, you can radically accelerate your wealth building. So just, it can go either way and it can go either way dramatically. So you can make a lot of money or lose a lot of money. Um, it's, it's the same like if you buy stocks on margin, you know, you can either do really well or you can really end up with a lot of debt and no and nothing else. Oh yeah, that can go against you very quickly. I used to be an options trader in, uh, in futures and you had to be very careful. Very, very careful. So, As a matter of fact, I had uh, like the best week of my life trading and got a little full of myself and everything that we'd done in the entire year was gone three days after my best week. And that's happening right now. I mean, I, I do a lot of, I have a show called Real Estate News for investors on, on iTunes and we just did a story on uh, margins are way up and that tends to be when the market's booming and nobody thinks there's an end, just going to go up, 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 up. And so people are like, hey, let's gamble. Let's get a loan and buy some more. Um, and that's, I think they're at all these, um, you know, it's at all time highs again, which is terrifying. Well, yeah. <laughs> well no, it is. It, it, there's, a, there's a lot like that. And, it, you know, it does feel almost like we, we, we're kind of moving back almost into a bubble. And I agree with you, right? Um, real estate, we have two properties right now. And... I think there's a lot of people listening that this is something that they're interested in, but all of us have heard horror stories. We don't really understand the risk because we're not, you know, expert, you know, we're all experts in something and not everything, but yep. not everything. Right. So, you know, what, what I would just love to know your thoughts and just what things look like and how, how, how do people go about maybe just start educating themselves on, you know, some of the options that they have. Well, one of the questions you asked earlier was, uh, you know, what are the lessons you've learned or something like that? And yeah. I want to say that um, the biggest lesson I've learned is to not make decisions based on greed. And it's very hard to tell, especially if you've got a Christian audience and most people will say, I'm not greedy. And yet um, a lot of people make decisions, financial decisions that have the spirit of greed. Well, that's and, what, you know what, that's right? why, you know, the, the, I stopped trading three years ago when I did this and I got back to where I had started. And then I, I just said, you know what, um, the potential for greed here, because that is how I acted, which mm -hmm. wiped everything out, Kathy. So just being yeah. kind of transparent. Yeah. And I realized that, you know, and I was doing it alone out of the house. And I realized that I really need to have people around me be talking to people to be, you know, to make decisions that really honor the integrity I want to live with. And I didn't do it in that one moment. And that, that, yeah. that kind of scared me. And that's actually why I walked away. Well, you know, it, it is something that people need to check in on. And I see it all the time. I see it all the time. And especially with uninformed or new investors. So, you know, to, to take that concept and, and say, all right, you know, that I'm giving this example of the stocks, stocks have gone up, up, up. So people are now borrowing money to buy more with the belief that they'll, they'll never come down when they come down every decade. I mean, you know, it happens all the time. History repeats itself, but, but it's the spirit of greed takes over, you know, and then they forget they're, they're putting their family in debt and and uh, what if things don't go uh, so peachy and they you know everything cycles so it's this you know what I love about um, you know the fundamentals if you really go with fundamentals instead of greed uh, then it's a definitely it's a different game and so um, what I mean by that is there are 
okay, first, first and foremost, what I love about real estate is that it's a hard asset. So when you put your money in the stock market, you have nothing securing it, no collateral. If, the, if, if, if it tanks, it's gone, you have no money. Whereas if you buy a, a property, at least you still have that property. The only reason you would lose that property is if you couldn't pay your debt. If you borrowed money, bought a property, couldn't make the payments, then you lose it. But if you are able to control it, you can you can do a lot of things with that property. You can either rent it out and make cash flow, or you can sell it and and get you know your money back. That um, there's things that you can do. So collateral is huge, and it's one of the main reasons I love real estate, and it's one of the reasons why banks still lend, you know, eighty percent on real estate. Even even FHA loans, you only have to put three and a half percent down, which tells you that the government still sees it as a good investment. Mm-hmm. So as long as you know, the the fundamentals that we teach is that if you buy a property that you can bank on, so in other words, if you can rent it out and all the income that comes from that property covers all your expenses plus extra, then what you've got is a cash flowing property. Um, whereas a lot of people see property as something to buy in the hopes that it will just gain in value. And that's basically what people are investing in the stock market. They're no longer looking for dividends or fundamentals. They just hope the stock either goes up or down. It's, it's as good as going to Vegas. You know, it's gambling. You're looking at it more like a bond where I buy, um, an asset that delivers some kind of annual or monthly cash flow. Absolutely. Absolutely. Instead of a stock where I'm investing in it like a growth stock because I want that mm-hmm. appreciation. Well, and see, too many people are still investing in real estate hoping for appreciation. Mm-hmm. Now, if you bought in certain markets, uh, Denver, Seattle, California, New York, um, when the timing was right, you know, you have to understand market cycles. When the timing was right, um, 2009, 2010, 2011, even 2012, um, then you could buy a property and not get any cash flow, not even rent it out, and you would have made a bunch of money. But now we're at the other side of that cycle. So the appreciation's already happened. So if you were to buy property today with hopes for appreciation, you're probably not going to get it. So, you know, what would you buy it for today then for cash flow? So if you're in high-priced markets, like the ones I just mentioned, you're not going to get cash flow because the home prices are too high and the rents are too low in comparison. But there's parts of the country where home prices haven't shot up yet for various reasons. So home prices are still low. It's almost like you're still buying in 2009 or 2010, yet rents are going up. So you have this amazing opportunity to buy an asset below what it's worth cash flow, get really high cash flow during the time that you hold it. And then also have this chance of appreciation because prices haven't bounced back. But that's just a bonus. It's not the reason you're buying. Well, it sounds like, you know, from a real estate investment standpoint, it's not just investing in the market that you're living in and familiar with, because that's, I guess that's kind of how I think about it. But that's not really what you're saying, is it? Uh, yeah, I haven't been able to do that. I, I'm born and raised in California. And, you know, no, we cannot buy here. I can't, I'm in Malibu. There's nothing here that's going to cash flow. And, you know, I watch investors come here and buy property and think, well, gosh, look at these prices. Prices, values have doubled. I'm going to buy something and I want my money to double. Well, you missed it. You know, prices, high, high-end real estate slowing down uh, right now. So, you know, that appreciation play is done. It's over. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Um, you're editing, right? It's, you, you must have some Santa Anas right now. 
Yeah, we do. And I also have my house cleaner here and, and there's all kinds of toxic chemicals around me. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, we used um, to live on the beach. When I was uh, stationed at NAS Miramar flying F-14s, we, my wife and I lived in Pacific Beach. And my goodness, what what a great place. Oh, fun. Well, yeah. you know, you had mentioned earlier fundamentals. What, what are some of the fundamentals that you share with people that they need to be knowledgeable about? Well, and you know, again, it's cash flow is what we care about or value plays. So let's say you're, you know, let's say you're in Denver and you don't want to invest in real estate outside of Denver, um, then you better be able to find an amazing deal that's at least 30% under market. Um, and the reason I say that is because, you, you know, you, you could buy that property in Denver and rent it out and, um, it's not going to cash flow. You know, it's just the prices have gone up too much in comparison to rents. So the only other reason you would buy it is either for appreciation, which may or may not happen, um, or uh, because you're going to improve the value of that property. So just like the fix and flip shows, let's say you buy it cheap enough or there's some reason why people are afraid of it. Maybe it has a mold or, you know, something that people are like, oh, I won't touch that, but you know you can fix it. Then you know, then you can, you can do well. So you buy a house for 30% under market. You've calculated all the expenses to fix that property, the holding costs, the sales costs, um, you know, the potential profit you would make. You've added all that in and the numbers still make sense such that you would get at least a 10% profit. Well, then you can make money in Denver, but you know, again, or San Francisco or Portland or Seattle, any of these boom cities. But that's a different, again, that's a different kind of investing. That's not passive. That's active because you're going in, you're doing work, you're fixing. That's a job. You know, that, Most- that's the point. That, that's a great different, because I was going to ask you, is it better to, you know, own rental property or kind of do the fix and flip? But it's not too different. It's not like vanilla, vanilla or chocolate ice cream. These are two totally different desserts, so to speak. Totally different. I mean, there it's oh. like creating a new business. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to manage contractors. You have to know there's so many surprises that can happen. And, um, you know, most people don't make money their first few times. So, you know, the other thing they don't realize is that it's totally active and how many people have lots of free time, you know, um, it's, it's, right. <laughs> so, you know, it's just another job, another headache. But then what people don't understand is that you're taxed ordinary income. So if you made, let's say you bought, you know, let's say you made a $20,000 um, profit, that's $20,000. If you're in a high tax bracket, that might be 50% that goes to the government. Is that because it's short-term gain? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so if you held it for a year, then you would have long-term gain, but, but most people aren't taking a year to flip something. No, that'd probably so, be a failure in most flippers' yes, minds, right? Exactly. Usually flippers are three months or, you know, our, the people we work with are less than, they like to do it in six weeks, some three months. I mean, you never want to go over six months. It depends on the property. But um, yeah, a year. I mean, the only reason you would do that is if you rented it, if you fixed it, rented it, and then, then you get the long-term capital gain, which is better. But when you buy rental property, so let's say you bought that property and rented it out and it cash flows, um, all that's treated differently. It, the tax savings are just unbelievable. How is rental uh, income tax, Kathy? I don't know. Oh, gosh. Um, well, 
it depends on a lot of things and I don't want to give tax advice, but we have yeah. an entire section on our academy. It's $10 a month where we interview CPAs that are experts in real estate there. You know, you can write off so almost everything on a rental property. So you write off repairs and mortgage and insurance and um, even traveling to and from the property and any education you've done, all of these things you write off. And so, and then you can depreciate it. I, again, I won't get into what that means, but basically the government says all this wear and tear, um, you know, affects the value. So you could take depreciation um, deductions as well. I mean, you know, I've gotten to a point where I, I, I almost pay no income tax because of of the real estate holdings that we have. It, it, it's so aggressive, and people don't really realize that on rental property. So, yeah, we're, I mean, that's just a bonus. Again, tax laws can change. They haven't for a long time, uh, and, uh, you know, I doubt they will, but um, we don't buy just for tax benefits alone, but it's an important metric to look at when buying and when investing. And And then the other thing is, you know, it is a passive investment. The idea is to replace yourself. So if you can replace yourself with little assets, little little cash machines that are generating money, uh, whether you work or not, if you get enough of those, then you've got enough passive income coming in that's uh, plus all these tax benefits that again your job optional, which means I don't think I don't think retirement is really all it's cracked up to be. I think people actually get depressed and bored when they retire. I, I actually think we're here to do something great, to do something we're here to do. But if you don't have to worry about the financial piece, that really changes the game. You know, it, it's right? It's like my friend Lance Wallnow says, the last thing the world needs is another broke philanthropist. <laughs> <laughs> right. So right? how cool is it to, you know, to be able to – uh, you know, what, whatever, let's say you're a doctor and you just want to go and help kids in Africa but because you have enough assets that you don't actually have to have to work, you know, or, or you're, you know, an artist. I, I've had people that kind of the easiest people for me to help are people who don't want things so much as lifestyle. So, you know, I had someone come to me who said, I, I'm an artist. I love doing art. I, you know, I can't make money at it. Um, so I need to replace my income and my income is $35,000 a year. Oh, great. We can do that. Um, but then when I have a, a movie director come to me and say, Hey, I need to replace my $500,000 a year income. We're like, Ooh, okay. That's going to be harder, but let's, let's get to it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> now um, when you say passive to do, you know, like, uh, if you own a couple rental properties, and you don't want to be involved in the maintenance or somebody, you know, breaks a toilet. Do, do most people use some kind of property management company? Absolutely. Is that, is that part of what you talk about, how to find a yeah. good one, how to partner with them? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, back when Rich and I learned from the radio show, my, my Real Wealth show, um, what these people were doing, we, at the time, our property, that one we managed to hold on to with all the students in it, um, it had gained oh my gosh, it gained so much value because it was right in the middle of, of the bubble. And so we were able to refinance, take a bunch of cash out and buy in Texas because we had so many experts on the show that understood market cycles and really could see what was coming. And they knew California was in a massive bubble, but they also knew that other parts of the country weren't. Um, and at the time it was Texas. Texas was just at the beginning of its boom cycle in 2006. In fact, Home prices were 26% undervalued when California was like 100% overvalued. So we were able to refinance, 
take enough money out to buy eight brand new homes in Texas that were like, you know, 20 minutes outside of Dallas. But it really took an hour to get to Dallas because you had to go through these different side roads. But we knew that a brand new freeway was coming in that would connect this little area to Dallas and make that hour commute a 20 minute commute and that that area would take off. And sure enough, you know, we did that and, and, um, we bought the homes, they doubled in value and, and the cash flow on those properties was like four times what it would have been in California. So we were able to time the market based on this advice we were getting from people on my show. And so many of our listeners did the same. So we realized, oh boy, we have to put a system in place so that when I do something like this that other people want to do it, it, it'll be seamless for them. And so that's when we realized we need to, to kind of get the property managers in place, get the teams in place, the realtors, the, the CPAs, the insurance companies, everything to make it a really seamless experience for our Real Wealth Show listeners. And then we thought, well, we better figure out how to make money doing that. Uh, you know, we'd love to do it as charity, but we got to be a business. And that's when we realized that we could receive referral fees from the real estate agents uh, because we were licensed real estate agents and that our listeners wouldn't have to pay us a penny for all the service we were providing. So that's how Real Wealth Network was formed. That's really cool how you did that. It's just all once, you know, we had no, nothing was planned. I got to tell you, you know, so many people talk about make your plan and follow it. We, we just kind of, it, it just sort of, we, when you're paving your own path, it's kind of hard sometimes to plan it. Nobody was doing a business like this. So we created it as we went based on what we needed and what we knew that other people needed. Because if we needed it, probably other people did too. Well, Kathy, as we wrap up, what's the best way for people to just learn more about you, what you're doing, you know, maybe get smart on some of this stuff, connect into, (laughs) you know, what you're sharing with people? Yeah, absolutely. You can join our network. It's free at realwealthnetwork.com. And then there you'll get access to all the market data on the best markets for investing in rental property today. And in those markets, we have teams all set up to make it a very turnkey investing experience. Um, But we also want people to be educated. Uh, So there's just a ton of free education there at realwealthnetwork.com. And then on my Real Wealth Show on iTunes. And then I have a book called Retire Rich with Rentals that you can get on Amazon. Fantastic. And all that's going to be in our show notes in the post for this for everybody listening in realwealthnetwork.com is the website. And just any final thoughts, Kathy? Uh, you know, I just I just caution people to be careful. 80% of the public just kind of does invest at the wrong time. They invest with the masses and not with the smart money. The smart money's out before the and on to the next best investment before the the masses come in at the end. And that's what's happening now. So follow the smart money and see what they're doing and don't get caught up in propaganda. That is wise advice. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time, Kathy. All right. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Eternal Leadership. Be sure to check the summary of this MP3 for any important links and a link to the show notes for this episode. As I said at the top, this edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock. Is there something that feels like it's blocking your business? The team at Marketplace Rock partners with you in unearthing those things that could be holding you back through intercessory prayer. John and I can't recommend the team highly enough. In fact, our phone calls with them are the highlight of our week. Visit them 
online, marketplacerock.com, or listen to either of Amy Everett's past interviews with us. Episodes 4 and 66, marketplacerock.com. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. <laughs>